We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Unsights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? My leg hurts and I'm really caffeinated and we should start. <laughs> Okay, we are going to move forward then. We had a nice week of TV, lots of good stuff to talk about. We have a, our spotlight section back, which is lovely. Oh my God, we have a good new drama. Oh my God, what? that never happens. That is crazy. Anyway, so we have a positive spotlight instead of a negative spotlight, and uh, we're feeling good about that. And uh, lots of other good stuff to come. Of course, we talked with Kyle Nolan from No Reruns and uh, also TV is my pacifier about Survivors, the remake the bbc remake of the bbc series so that'll be coming at the end of the show but before we get to the rest of our week in tv let's talk some comments and tweets because we we heard from the eight-year-old hungarian princess from black adder the actress who played the hungarian princess on black adder and that was awesome so thank you for for tweet wait a minute this is the first i've heard of this oh yes we did she tweeted us yeah wow yeah so that was pretty cool um, also, lots of tweets from Ricky about Deadwood because he's finally, <laughs> finally on the uh, if, bandwagon. Yeah, if, if you haven't been following this, basically, R- Ricky, our our esteemed editor, just started watching Deadwood, and now after years of me telling him to watch it, and you know, approximately a year of you telling him to watch it, and us emphasizing how good it is, and you should be watching it, and it's amazing, he's finally caught up, and he's he's like, freaking hey, out. you guys, like, we should this, do a DVD shelf. The show is pretty good. We had to break it to him. We did an epic shelf on it over a year ago. With the guys from Previously On, of course. Hello, guys from Previously On. It's been a while since we did a shout-out. Um, but yeah, so it, that's just been hilarious. So he, he's compiling some best-of lists for Deadwood, so that should be a lot of fun. Yes, I could talk about Deadwood all day, so I'm always happy when someone else decides to start watching it. We also heard from Amanda, and I'm sorry, Amanda, yes, the CW does not really do reruns of Supernatural. You're going to have to wait for TNT to get to where you are in the series if you're you're trying to to watch it on your DVR. We heard lots of House House of Cards talk. Of course, we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show, but we heard from Keith and Nellie and Shannon. Uh, So thank you guys for, for giving me some information. Like, I didn't realize that House of Cards has already been picked up for a second season, so... Well, from what I understand, Netflix actually, when they ordered it, they actually paid $100 million for two seasons. So it was... Yeah. I don't think it was so much renewed as that's... You can think of it as just an extension of the first season, so yes. So yeah, so th- thanks for that reminder, Shannon. And uh, yeah, got to talk some marathons with Nelly and uh, a bunch of stuff with, with Keith, so that was cool. We heard from Mario, who left a comment at the site, which you guys can go check out. Lots of great stuff there. But uh, he steered clear of the following because of our, our, our spotlight of shame, and uh, that's another... You know, warms the cockles of the heart a little bit there. Talked what does about... it say that people react way more viscerally to, sh- to to our spotlights of shame than our spotlights? Yeah, it's true. We he, we've heard way more back back from you guys about our our spotlight of shame than any, anything else. But uh, 
so it goes. We also he also talked Bunheads, um, Vampire Diaries. He's with you on the American Horror Stories finale, Girls, and apparently last week's Good Wife got its worst ratings yet. So, Oof. ouch. Maybe the the whole financial solvency arc hasn't been the the most head turning. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure, but uh, that was unfortunate to hear. And then our last comment was that we heard from I heard from Emma, the curfew ninja. Lovely to hear from you, Emma, as ever. And uh, she was very excited about Blackadder uh, last week on our, the DVD shelf. So that was a lot of fun to to hear from her. We don't have any new iTunes ratings or reviews, but maybe next week. Um, but at the site, uh, I do have my westerns music article that that I got up under the wire the day before the westerns month ended of course as i mentioned before my article on high noon rio bravo and and the blacklist was is also up and now it's february it's a new month so it's a new theme and we're on to keanu reeves i don't know how that happened but it happened popular it? vote yeah uh, yeah i don't know how i feel about popular votes but yes we're doing an entire month apparently of uh articles podcasts etc on Keanu Reeves. Other things will be going up as well, thankfully, but uh, that will also uh, be happening. Clearly, someone does not have enough love and respect I, for I love and respect. Bill you know, and Ted. You know what? I uh, Bill and Ted is great. You know what I really want to find, though? I really want to find video of Keanu Reeves' Hamlet. Okay. You know, he played Hamlet at one point, like on stage. I really want to see that. would be that. interesting. Yeah. Don't, I want to see his documentary. See uh, side by side? Yeah. I've seen it. He didn't direct it, but he does host it. I think he yeah, but he well. he produced it and he was the driving force behind it. It's it was... interesting. Yeah, I, I I actually have a review on the site. You can find it. Okay, I'll have to look it up. But I I would like to actually see the film, is what I'm saying, because I have not gotten around to that one yet. Fair but enough. yeah, so do do you know what you're going to be writing about at the site for Keanu Reeves? I don't know if I'm going to be writing anything. I know I know I'm going to be co-hosting a podcast with the lovely and talented Kate Rennebaum, um, who is a Keanu Reeves obsessive, and we're going to be talking <laughs> about, I think, Bill and Ted, Speed, and The Devil's Advocate, uh, which, okay. if you've never seen it, is a hilarious, hilarious movie. I have seen that one. It has uh, <laughs> some of the most ridiculous uh, acting from Pacino ever, but it's a lot of fun. Hooah! Yeah, it's, <laughs> it gets it gets pretty pretty hammy in there. We do want to mention that, of course, as our TV section is ever expanding, we are looking for new contributors, people who are interested in writing for the TV section and uh, contributing either original articles or weekly reviews about a number of shows. Some of the shows that we are currently actively seeking uh, reviewers for are Bunheads, which, of course, we love, but unfortunately, neither of us can cover at the the moment. Uh, Grimm, which is coming back soon. And also the Americans, because apparently Simon, you don't want, you can't commit to Wednesdays forever. Uh, well, I'm already doing a few other reviews of shows that either are happening now or will happen soon, and I also fill in when other people need me to on stuff Excuses. like Girls. Excuses. And uh, yeah, so I will write about it until because it's great until somebody else can basically. We're looking for a Tuesday comedy roundup person. So that would be like Mindy Project, Cougar Town, some of those shows, as well as coming ahead in the summer, we're going to need somebody for True Blood. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that one this this year. And um, there's a bunch <laughs> not, of other shows. Not so, going to be able to or don't want to? Their powers combined, Simon. <laughs> their, their powers combined. Uh, but uh, anyway, so if you are interested in contributing to Sound on Sight, please send me an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. And uh, we, and you know, and, We'll, I'll, we can talk there and you can send me a writing sample and we'll see if, if 
you'll be you would be a good fit for the site but we are always looking for for new contributors new unfortunately as with the rest of us these would be unpaid contributors um unfortunately we don't get paid either yeah none of us is making any money don't you worry but if you would uh if that would be of interest to you please let us know and the last thing we'll mention before we get into our week in tv is that of course uh walking dead will be coming back this coming sunday it's starting the second half of their third season so we did put out an episode of the walking dead podcast which i will get up on the televerse feed later this week but we talked about uh warm bodies we reviewed that which was a lot of fun. Uh, there were some strong opinions. Major for, philosophical on differences on that film. Uh, yeah, it was pretty great. Pretty hilarious, as far as I'm concerned, at least. And then we also talked about a little bit about the Glenn Mazzara uh, shake-up. Debacle. Which will be we happening. debacle? I think we can <laughs> call it a debacle. Season. Yes, uh, I think that sounds about right. But let's get into our week in TV, and we're going to start with the Tuesday comedies. Of course, New Girl, Cooler, Mindy Project, Harry and Sally, Happy Endings, The Merry Prankster, Our Best Friend's Wedding, and Cougar Town, I Should Have Known It. So, which of these did you watch, and what did you think? I watched uh, both Happy Endings and New Girl, and this week we find uh, the sitcoms that I actually watch, watch rather, at their most rom com mm-hmm. I feel like. They're really pushing that this week, even though it's, I mean, it's, it's I don't know. Uh, let's start with New Girl, and you know I, they finally went where we've known they were going to go. It was just a matter of time, and from I mean, really, I have no feelings on on the pairing. It was, you know, it was inevitable, and really, the measure of of the show will be how they deal with it. You know, can they run with it and still be funny? Yeah, and like and, and run with it in a direction that feels organic. That's really it. Like, there's no definitive bad or good on this yet i don't think yeah i would agree with that i enjoyed reading mo ryan's review of the episode or her discussion of it perhaps is a better way to say after it aired because i i love when in in that article she talks about how all tv critics for the most part hate the moonlighting curse as a notion and feel the need to instinctively go that's not what killed moonlighting you're it's a false dichotomy it's uh and how you know we love shows that actually skip all that stuff and and get to the interesting interesting you know, situation which is all the comedy that can come out of the couple getting together rather than just stringing it along forever i remember specifically on one of our very first dvd shelves talking with paul goble of the paul goble show and as of course you were as well about how it was so refreshing that they just dove in with that central relationship and that's in the pilot right of news radio, of yes. News radio. You didn't mention what the show was. Oh yes, yes, of news radio. <laughs> and so so yes, I think the couple things that were good about this episode, I think that as far as that goes, I think it was a fun episode in general. But though I think two things were important. First of all, the kiss was good. It was well done and it was believable and it was intense and it wasn't a cop out way to do it. And I appreciated the thought that went into it. Um, and and then the situation around it, I think, was made a lot of sense. So I like that they presented, oh, this is how they're going to have them kiss, and then completely subverted that. So so I think they're off to a good start so far. But as you say, I, I would agree, the uh, the real test will be what next? Yeah. I, I, first of all, I was glad that it didn't happen while anybody was inebriated. Yes. Because that would have felt like a cop-out. I think that's one of the things they, they were smart to avoid. Uh, also, we had the return of True Americans, which honestly felt a little perfunctory to me. Like It was fun to see again, but I didn't really need them to go back to that well right away. Oh, I loved it because 
I love part of what I loved about it was the fact that there was the Clinton edition, and and the fact that they had they changed it up so it wasn't just the same thing. There was you know there was stripping. Yes, right. Yeah. No, that was cute. But I, I guess I it felt like 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 a like gravy on top of gravy. Like it was maybe a little excessive for me. Oh, okay. As for happy endings. Uh, I don't know. I, I know that we've we've had the Bridezilla discussion before, and we do have a twist on that with you know Dave being the Bridezilla. Although really there were multiple Bridezillas in the episode. If you want to extend that to uh, other characters, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not totally crazy about the the whole wedding prospect of the show of, of the episode, or rather of the of the season. And they're also of course throwing Dave and Alex in the mix, which I'm also not you know I don't think anybody's crazy about. But uh, I, I thought both episodes were pretty solid. Yeah, I think these were good. The because I watched these in the wrong order because they were on my DVR and I for some reason like I think I had accidentally resorted it and so I, I watched the wrong order. And so first I watched my our best friend's wedding. I was like, whoa, 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 wait, what what's going on? When did somebody? When did she get engaged? And then like the next day I found the other one and I thought the the way that they handled the proposal and the engagement was incredibly sweet and very well done. And I very much appreciated that. Is it just me? I'm not looking as much as I enjoy having Penny have a stable relationship. I it's so fast that I don't. Yeah, you know, I, I want her to actually be in a functional relation relationship. And having them having been together what for four episodes now, maybe maybe half a season at the most, and already getting engaged just screams to me that it's gotta fall apart yeah i mean conventional wisdom is everybody knows you need 12 episodes and to have lived together for a while but <laughs> something like that um but uh but yeah so the i don't know i'm, I'm kind of concerned about that but other you know otherwise i just i guess it's nice to have a little different variety in the penny's dating life you know, comedy yeah. that they're coming up with so so i did enjoy the episode and of course jane getting crazy was a lot of fun well i mean and, for me uh, Although I, I think my my the biggest laugh in either episode was definitely Jane spotting the Trojan horse and then <laughs> and then the sight gag that follows. This is wonderful. Yeah, there was also uh, another romantic comedy type episode, Mindy Project, Harry and Sally. We had BJ Novak showing up. Uh, it and Isn't I every continue... episode of Mindy Project a romantic comedy episode. To ver to varying extents, perhaps, and it's something that was laid out very clearly in in their pilot, but. I feel like for the most part that that isn't their uh, that isn't the tone that they go for. Whereas this is is literally titled Harry and Sally, so that's you know obviously that's that's a direct parallel that they're making. I just continue to love the casting on this show because of course Mindy Kaling can get a lot of people. They want to work with her, so they, they they'll come on her show. But uh, yeah, the the, the in, uh, B J Novick's character doesn't feel like he's long for the show, but. I you know I enjoy enjoy what he brings to it and hopefully we'll get something different from what we're expecting with that relationship and as far as Cougar Town I like that they did have a Tom centric episode and that he's now officially part of the group I assume he'll be back outside the window soon but but still having a, an episode centered around his character was overdue and a lot of fun next up is Justified the bird has flown and you really like this episode I did really it, like this episode is it every week now yes it's every week now come on yeah it's only okay. for 13 weeks people can put up with it no I <laughs> I, I, I really I, I mean it's tricky uh I, I mean I don't know how much of it was just you know, relating to certain parts of what really was going through in this episode, or did I actually think it was better than previous weeks? I think it was 
maybe the funniest episode of the season, so I'm going to give it points for that. Uh, I mean, just if only for the beanbag shotgun fight at the end, which was just was was it was too much. It was it was so in 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 a good way. I thought it was hilarious. Um, at at the same time, I don't feel like there are a lot of shows that would be willing to make their. I mean, there's lots of shows where the protagonist is dark, does bad things, or whatever. But I'm not sure there are many dramas, if you want to call justified a straight drama, that's willing to make their protagonist just be kind, a little bit pathetic. To be honest, mm-hmm. like. The fact that at the end of the episode they make the, you know they have this big dramatic beat of Rachel asking oh so what are you gonna do he just gets drunk in his house and then passes mm-hmm. like I love that that's what that ended up being like it wasn't some big gesture soliloquy or yeah no I'm just gonna get drunk and pass out in my broken apartment with my no money in it like I I really like that <laughs> touch personally. Yeah, I think the highlight for this episode for me, though, was not Raylan as much as, you know, how we love uh, Timo on this podcast. But Rachel, it was so lovely to have her incorporated. This is the kind of role that I would love to see both her and him play. Of course, differing personalities there in different relationships with Raylan. But this sort of backup that she is for him in this episode is great. It's just the right touch. It balances him and, you know, it's totally believable. I, I like that. I, I feel like the only reason that they had her character go through an off-screen divorce was so that there would be a reason that she would identify with Raylan and perhaps be a little pissed off and angry hey, and, and willing to spend time with him. Yeah. So, you know, I, whereas I, I think earlier, or like last season, or even Tim probably would just not want to play babysitter. I feel like she, you know, she is ready to get out of the house and she doesn't mind driving along to to just kind of kill some time and make sure Raylan doesn't kill anybody. Yes. Uh, and she thinks that might be fun. You know, I, so I, I really enjoyed that part of the episode. And the further I get away from it, because, of course, these episodes air the same night that they put the podcast out. So it's uh, we're always a week behind. The further I get away from, from this episode, the more I am struck by how much I like this version of Rachel. Yeah, for sure. And apparently we're getting more stuff with her and more stuff with Tim as well. So hooray Good. for that. And I I like Tim a lot. And, and especially compare this to the Rachel episode we got last season, I think it was. Yeah, which was not like, good. Which was like easily the worst of the season. Yeah. And yeah. So this is just so much better. And I have to say on the Boyd Ava side of things, I didn't find nearly as compelling. But we did get a lot of uh, Abby Miller being amazing as Ellen May. So I feel like we need props for that. And I was so glad she didn't die at the end. Yeah. I, it, I, I was having flashes of, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, Adriana. Is that, yeah. Is, yeah. Is, now. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, you won't, I won't even say what show I'm talking about. So if you don't know, you don't know, and you're not spoiled, but uh, I was having flashes of that car ride, you know, totally, when the, we yeah. were watching this, but, um, I, I'm somewhat frustrated by the ending because I I don't believe it unless she got kidnapped. Oh, she definitely got kidnapped. I, I assume it was... Um... Oh, okay. Well, good. Because I thought we were supposed to think she ran off oh, and no, like, no, no, realized no. something I'm... was up and ran off. Cause... Oh, I, I'm assuming she was taken by Cassie because otherwise, why would we have spent the time with her and Jim Beaver earlier in the episode? Well, I th- yeah, that's true, I guess. I, I or maybe even uh, Dixie Mafia trying to screw with them. We looks like there's more of that to come, and I mean, we always love Jerry Burns, yeah. but uh, but uh, but yeah. So good. I, I that hadn't even occurred to me as what you know. I I had no idea that I, it wasn't conveyed. At least I didn't gather that that's what we were supposed to assume. Yeah. So you know, 
And, Whereas, and that, the and week that before, me, I was it was really clear to me that we weren't supposed to think that the the girlfriend had had uh, been kidnapped. We were supposed to realize she ran yeah. off. Oh, and I love the way Rachel cleared that up right away at the beginning yeah. of the episode. Like, yeah, you know that she didn't. You know that she wasn't taken. Is her right? toothbrush <laughs> gone? I don't think she paused to get her toothbrush after being kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, that was, so yeah. That, was, that was pretty great. Yeah, so it's it's more good stuff as ever. We enjoy seeing Jim Beaver pop up. Uh, it would be nice if if he got more to do than convey information. Uh, I'd like to see yes. him actually get to act. But um, until then, w- welcome welcome back to our screens. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see when things. It looks like things are going to heat back up next week with uh, with with the family business, as it were. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and it was interesting. We got a we got a an almost complete break from the mystery, except for that shot of Jim Beaver looking at Drew Thompson's mugshot or whatever that was. So, hey, I guess that means more Jim Beaver. So yay. Yeah, I'll take I'll take quasi standalones. Next up is Wednesday and Top Chef Seattle Chefs at Sea, and we had uh, we had Stefan going home af- after cooking just shot. You know, my 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 sister was just watching it actually uh earlier earlier this weekend and so i got to see that 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 uh eating or the judges table sort of moments again and that was a really loud crunch to that pork that was that was that was loud yeah i don't know if they goosed that or not in in editing but it definitely seemed like i mean it looked like an armadillo shell or something it it did not look edible well and even just the reactions of the the judges while they're eating as yeah. soon as they bite in <laughs> or, like i don't think they faked that yeah and, and and as far as i was i mean when i saw that when i just saw their facial reactions in that moment it's like okay he's gone like they they made they they made overtures in other directions with even mm-hmm. with uh with hugh suggesting lizzie and then later totally backtracking on it which i thought yeah, was really yeah, clear. yeah. Uh, oh, can i can i just sidetrack for a moment and say that when when Hugh was talking about you and you envisioned surf and turf, but you didn't re envision it or whatever. Like that was yeah. the that was the douchiest moment of on TV. <laughs> this like I, I get I know he was making a valid point, but just him with those eyebrows saying that sentence was just the douchiest thing I saw on my TV screen this week, and I saw some pretty douchey things. <laughs> yeah, that that can happen on the show from time to time. The you, you you were saying earlier when we were talking before the podcast about how you're gonna take your own hand at uh, the scallops. Yeah, because I mean, how hard could it be? He stuck some scallops in a blender with some gelatin, which admittedly gelatin might be tricky to find, but you know, or maybe not. No, you're no. you're shaking. I mean, I've never gotten it, but anyway, like Just go to the Jello aisle. <laughs> but seriously, I'm, I'm gonna I'll I'll drop you know twelve bucks on some scallops and get some gelatin, stick it in a blender with some bacon on top like really I, I can't believe they didn't get on his case for doing ba- for doing a variation of breakfast for like the 17th time well there was other stuff in that blender too there was uh some some probably some sort of cream or some i'm sure there were emulsifiers going on but uh it looked a lot like scallops in a blender is what it looked like yeah, yeah. So, but that's a you know you can start at that and season to taste as you experiment. Let me know how that turns out. But uh, no, it's nice to see Brooke doing well. <laughs> I love that she won a trip on a cruise <laughs> after talking all episode about how she hates boats. <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty great. Although, I mean, she had to see that coming. Oh yeah, that was just it was just especially too funny, con- considering you know? how much pimping there was of the cruise line on this episode. A lot. It was a, a lot. lot. All of the pimping, really. 
But uh, yeah, we're looking at a solid final four. Of course, Kristen is still in and Last Chance in the Kitchen. It was a good show off, though, between her and and uh, it was a good showdown between her and Stefan, though. Nice to, to see some actually, you know, quality cooking happening in Last Chance Kitchen. Usually it's good because they're fighting for their lives, but this one looked particular. I mean, I don't it was an awful challenge. I don't like awful, but I was yeah, I would have tasted their food because it looked really good. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I'm predicting Sheldon, Brooke, Kristen as the final three, and Josh is the fourth who gets eliminated before the final challenge. What do you think? That sounds about right. Yeah, I think okay. I feel like Josh. I like gonna, Lizzie too, but I feel like Josh is gonna get thrown out the next time he puts bacon on a on an empty plate. Like just <laughs> I do love bacon. So, I like bacon too, but come on, dude. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on to Thursday and the finale of 30 Rock Hogcock, or a combination of hogwash and poppycock, and Last Lunch. We had talked about last week how, how it almost seemed like we'd already seen the finale of 30 Rock. How did these two episodes function for you, and uh, were they were they too meta, perhaps? And if not, what are you going to take away from the series? Uh, well, it I have huge gaps in my 30 Rock viewing. And by huge gaps, I mean pretty much the entire first four seasons. So I feel like, I mean, I mean, I, I saw some of it on DVD at, back in my video store days uh, here and there. But uh, I, I never got fully into immersed in 30 Rock. I, I've, I've seen pretty much the entirety of the last couple seasons, which I think everyone will agree was not the show's best days. And I saw some of the show's best days was scattered around. So I kind of feel bad that I didn't get really into this finale. I didn't feel, because I never felt that attached to 30 Rock, uh, even though I, I have seen some of what people purport to be its best episodes. So I, I, I didn't feel like it, it, like, you know, I guess it if its job was to pull in someone like me who's sort of half in, half out with 30 Rock, then I don't think it, I don't think it really worked. I think it was probably great for the faithful and kind of, yeah, for everyone else. <laughs> I think uh, a couple of my concerns about the last episode, I think, were well handled. I wasn't a fan of making Kenneth in charge of the network, but I think they sold him at that this week. I think they did a good job with that. I I loved that they brought back the rural juror. That was pretty fabulous. Uh, one of the best recurring gags, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, I, I'm another one who I tend to like. 30 rock i don't i never like it as much as everybody else seems to when i'm watching it but i i do enjoy the show i i love all the 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 main cast and and creators you know tina fey is amazing and uh it's it's really great to see some of these other actors get some some good material but um but yeah i never really fell in love with the show like everybody else did that being said it felt very true to itself and, and the meta should have bothered me the, all of the it's one last episode are we ready to say goodbye you know it was on the nose it was bashing you <laughs> on the nose but but i still thought there was enough sweetness to go with it that it worked my last question would be i, I thought it was very strange to have liz end the episode not with the show i don't i was that just did that bother you at all was that just me uh, i think that was just you <laughs> yeah okay i would have liked if you know, I guess that she she had moved on past the show, but to have her standing on the dock, uh, waiting for for Alec uh, for for Jack seemed sort of strange because they obviously had shown that she was fulfilled at home, and that she that she had a great home life that was all taken care of, and so therefore what was left was was work. 
And um, I don't know. I, I did like the post credits sequence, though, of everybody five years later or whatever it was. I thought that was that was pretty great. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I have no I have no uh, bones with the execution. I just I guess watching it just made me feel like I was never proud of the 30 Rock Club. I mean, I, I'll definitely take <laughs> it over. I'll t- don't get me wrong. I'll take it over community any day of the week. And I, I do think Tina Fey is great and all. And I look and she's already talking up that she's going to be doing another show. Which is great, uh, and hopefully I'll get in on that one from the beginning and be totally on the bandwagon. But yeah, I think watching this just made me feel like, yeah, I wish the show worked for me on the level that it seemed that, that the you know the many critics we know who think it's at one of the classic sitcoms um, or very near it. I, I I just never got quite in there, so yeah, I I, I wish I was one of them. I'm just, I'm just not. Well, I, I hadn't heard that uh, news about Tina Fey, so that's going to be – that's that's fabulous news. I look forward to seeing what she does next. That'll be great. But in the meanwhile, let's look, move on to our next comedy. Theoretically, this should be more in our wheelhouse, Archer, and this episode is Legs. What did you think? Was this a return to form, or are we not feeling too hot about this season of Archer? I liked it quite a bit better than last week. I, I still didn't think it was quite top shelf, but – it gets points, first of all, for being possibly the grossest episode of Archer ever. I feel like it was half just hacking into somebody. I, I really liked that unexpected opening montage of Ray just dealing with being paralyzed and just getting getting through his day. And it, it was, I mean, it was meant to be funny, but it was also meant to genuinely illustrate some things about his character. And I think it, it, it accomplished both of those things quite handily. And um, I always like when they throw in those little character touches that aren't necessarily overtly comic, although also function on that level. So that was really great to see. And yeah, and I loved I loved there were lots of great syntax jokes in this episode, which I'm always a huge sucker for. (sighs) Literally and figuratively. Thank you, Archer. Both. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. As as a grammar person and uh, editor and, you know. Just borderline OCD personality. I I do so much love their their literary jokes and uh, running gags. Yeah, I agree. Definitely was one of their grosser episodes to not involve a uh, uh, random sex with Pam. And uh, I I think my favorite bit, you know, it was great. The the opening with Ray was great, but I think my favorite bit was the it was Archer getting sidetracked by following the bullet. It was. Yes. Pretty fantastic. And uh, do we think, are we going to see, I can't even remember the character's name. That's how forgettable he is. He, his job is to get shot accidentally. Oh, I'm I, sure I, we'll I, see him again. Yeah, I'd like to, because we don't never actually see him in the episode. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm still kind of un, not sold on the, was it Ron Cadillac? But I know there's an episode coming up called Midnight Ron. So I, I assume we'll get more with that later. I think that's but, next uh, week. I, I don't know. I, week? I, I like him. Uh, he's played apparently by Jessica Walters' real life husband. Okay. So, so I don't know. I, I I always like like meta casting decisions like that, but um, well, at least when it comes to voice casting. But yeah, there was lots to like this episode. And yeah, as as far as the syntax stuff goes, I think my I chuckled hardest at the bit about God and the erection. Which, if you don't watch the show, <laughs> it sounds like I'm just blaspheming. But yeah, you, know, you you watch it, you'll 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 see what happens. But yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what happens with Ray and his bionic legs. I just hope they don't paralyze him again because they already did that twice. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, they well, only it... did it once, but they faked it once. Anyway, I just hope they don't go back to that well afterwards. Yeah. Well, and we know Barry is still up there in space waiting to to, to come back down. We've seen we've returned to him this season, so I assume there'll be more with that character. Yes. Later and, in the and, season, and maybe Ray's bionic legs prepares him for some sort of epic face-off with with Barry, which would be amazing. 
that'd be pretty great. So we'll see what happens. I do think this season of Archer is a step down from season three and possibly is their weakest yet at this point. Oh, we're just but, getting started. Come on. But I do very much, you know, love the, you know, and I'm very entertained by the show. I, I, I usually laugh out loud every episode. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there is more goodness to come and I, that my estimation will be raised by the end of the season. Let's move on, though, to uh, another Lowered, ep- lowered Expectations uh, series, which is the pilot to Do No Harm. You watched this of your own volition. I did. Okay. How could I not watch a show where somebody walked into into like an NBC office and said, hey, you know what's a great idea? Okay. So it's a medical procedural, and it's also a Jekyll and Hyde story combined. And they thought, that's brilliant. Let's greenlight that. Everyone will watch it. And then it turns out to be, what, the lowest rated pilot, like drama pilot in broadcast history or something? In in a long time. And this is one that they made available to critics. So, I mean, I saw this, oh man, a month ago? More? I saw this quite a while ago. And, uh, and of course, we talked about it in our in our mid-season preview back then so i don't have much to add to what i said then what i am most entertained by is that this is the pilot that felicia rashad read and said i think i'll go back to network you know weekly television <laughs> really this is the best we can do uh yeah uh, I, mean, I felt embarrassed for everyone involved i mean steven pasquale he's he's clearly got charm and i think he was great as a supporting player on rescue me I don't. I'm not sure he's a great choice for a series lead in general, but he's really trying his best here. And yeah, they make him. It's not do, his fault. It's not his fault, but it was somebody's idea that whenever he's in evil mode, I forget that the character, the evil character, he has to like cock his head downwards and arch his eyebrows, like and like have someone move the light up a little bit. Like really, you had to do that. Pop so the that collar, we, you know. Yeah, so that we know you're bad. Like really, you had to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, there. Okay, I will give them points. There's a germ of an interesting idea when he goes to meet his ex-wife, uh, who you didn't remember who she was, so I'll say the blonde one. Um, oh yeah, and and she's and she's had to like actually, he's paid for her to disappear from it. Like he's he's supporting her to not be around. And I was like, okay, this this, this stuff is kind of interesting. If you don't, if you allow that, it's not completely ridiculous that neither of them has just put him under constant psychiatric care, which is the only thing that makes sense for the character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I should also mention, cause I do really like this cast. I, I liked Alex de Garza on, on uh, her seasons of law and order, but we have, we have Tony winner, Lynn Miguel Miranda as the biddiest of bit players on this. We have Sam Levine. They're... Wait. Oh, Sam Levine's part two is just, literally walking around he's he's the assistant and that's literally all he gets to do yeah these are really good really good really funny and talented actors why is this the show that they that they have to work with yeah so anyways it's not it's not offensive it is nowhere near the bottom of my 2013 list which already is percolating the back of my head but um it's just really a shame that these people are being so so hugely squandered yes. but luckily they won't be squandered for long at least not on this show <laughs> i guess <laughs> they'll squander themselves on something else 
let's w- move on to our next show, The Vampire Diaries, A View to a Kill. As you may remember last week, we were not happy <laughs> with the episode. Did you watch this week? I did. Um, and, you know, I, I read your review, and I know that you think this one's a real step up. And, yeah, it's great that they killed Cole. Uh, I was going to give a spoiler alert. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, well. It's great that they did that. But uh, other than that, I thought it was not that different from last week, to be honest. I mean, it was, you know, there's some signs of recovery like that and Bonnie's parents showing up and telling her she's an idiot. But, which, you know, <laughs> Always need, helps. someone needed every... It, they need every character to walk up to her and just say, you're an idiot. Can you stop now? But that, but there's no sign of that happening. So that's not particularly great. And most of the central conflicts I'm still not interested in. So yes, I guess there's signs of goodness, but there's also still reason for concern. Where is Caroline? Yeah, that's also, is, did she get pregnant or something in real life? Did she get, I the, haven't... did she get a bug? I d- not that I know of, maybe. I, I, I guess I should check into that, because that would make more sense. But God, she's missed. They've got to realize that she is absolutely one of their best things in the show right now, the actress and the character. Yeah, because they need her around to tell every other character that they're being stupid. Yeah. Well, and really, another, oh my God, the, the I think I, I'm officially, it's going to take, maybe with a lot of character rehab, I can end up back on Team Bonnie. But her reaction to the canceled dance? Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? How many people have died? How many people are, are... You guys are trying to raise unspeakable evil and Cole seems to be the only one who cares to stop the impending apocalypse. And, and you're going to complain about the 80s dance? Yeah. What? Oh no, heaven forbid a dance be canceled in Mystic Falls. It'll be two days till there's another one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And just the fact that, I mean, honestly, they should have just Buffy-style blown up the high school and then just <laughs> given them all a GED and then let them, let them all forget about it because they're all 25 now, and it's at least. And yeah. it's, it's quite glaring. Every time they try to pretend they're they're teenagers, it's just yeah. it just gets more grown worthy. It does. I, I will allow them. I did chuckle at their terrible, the cure music cue joke. Good job mm-hmm. on that. But yeah. But other than that, like I mean, I'm still not interested in Rebecca at all. So no, I, I will say that um, we'll see what happens with it. I've been sort of missing Damon, like funny Damon and wisecracking. You know, acerbic witch demon and i'm hoping that maybe we're starting to get him back i do think ian summerholder while not the the subtlest of actors has it remains one of the absolute highlights of the show and and they've started like i say in my review they've started to make the baby steps of getting the show back to some semblance of the show that i really like and the show that this this group of people can make um but yeah i think a lot will depend on how how I did not understand. They had they had Klaus constrained to a room. They had Bonnie there, who had just was just able to contain him and, and to hold him. Now, seeing as they don't care about killing originals, which could who could kill them, since they're willing to roll the dice on that, why didn't they just kill Klaus? Yeah, that's that was the main reason that I'm still worried. <laughs> To be honest, like really, you're just gonna you're gonna keep him in a magical box and not kill him, really? For three days, because really? I guess that means he's part of the spinoff. Yeah, he's got to be part of the spinoff. But the thing with with the thing with Klaus is that 
either they're they're not gonna win him over. So the only possible way that he doesn't immediately kill them is upon release is is if I they kill him or or they uh they they manage to somehow magically turn him human if they find the, the cure or but, or they spend an entire episode talking about it and talking to him until they find some convoluted reason for him not to kill them yeah yeah i guess but it's just ridiculous so just tr- just kill him and take the roll the dice either he's gonna kill you as soon as he gets out or you're just gonna die quickly then just get it over with and kill off klaus as much as i like jeffrey morgan Okay, sorry, we should move on. It's uh, That's way too much talk about Vampire Diaries. Let's go to Friday and Spartacus, uh, War, War of the Damned, Wolves at the Gate. I like that there were actual wolves. Yes, yes. Uh, there's no shortage of cool badassery on Spartacus, and this was no exception. Uh, I didn't think it was quite as awesome as the premiere, uh, maybe because... We, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't feel like anything had the weight of, for instance, the introductory Crassus scenes. Uh, but we did meet Julius Caesar. I, although, okay, maybe I'm dumb, but I didn't understand what was happening with Caesar and the girl and the blade and the. I think he was getting a shave. That was a lot of blood for a shave. Maybe she's not very good. He didn't see. I don't know. That, that that I was confused because there was a number of things that could be going on in that scene. But anyway, maybe it's best not to dwell on it. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about, you know, young badass Caesar being an, like, I, I was really not what I was expecting from that character. So I'm still getting adjusted. Yeah. I, I, cause of course, when I think of Caesar, I immediately go to Kieran Hines and Rome. And so it's a slightly different portrayal of the character. I'm glad that they went a different way with it. That's very smart, but uh, it'll be interesting to, to see how it plays out moving forward. Cause that's definitely not what I would have expected from that character. You know, it, it's interesting, though, I was doing a bit of research on which characters are historical and which ones aren't, and that's usually a good way to know who going to die, uh, <laughs> because they, they, ha- they haven't, from what I can tell, I mean, obviously, the language and accents and casting aren't really appropriate for, you know, the history, but they, they tend to stick to the broad strokes pretty closely, so, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I, I, I won't even say who doesn't exist because I think I feel like it'll count as a spoiler. But it, it's it's always a little bit of a drag to me when they introduce a character who I know can't be killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're pretty sure Caesar's not going to bite it anytime soon, I, I suppose. But uh, not having him as the as much on the front lines, I'm sure he will be very involved. But uh, not having him as theoretically the target for Spartacus immediately seems wise because then. You know, when he doesn't get killed, it won't be as much of a air quote su- surprise, or at least it won't be as narratively frustrating, perhaps. But it'll be interesting to see what happens next. I love that they've already taken over a city in the second episode. There's no, there's no yep. waiting on Spartacus, and it's great. So we'll see what happens next. It looks like pirates are the next thing that we get to watch them deal with. So oh, awesome! I didn't see the the next, next dawn, week. On. So that, yeah, Spartacus plus pirates. Excellent. Spartacus plus sea battles equals good stuff. So I'm looking forward to whatever tall ships they have coming. Have they ever done that? I don't remember them doing that before. I don't think so. I think this is this is new. So it should be pretty fun. As long as we get Spartacus in space before the end of the season, I'll be happy. <laughs> nice. Let's move on to the other big uh, premiere on Friday or episode that is. And that's House of Cards. Of course, all of season one, all 13 episodes went live Friday morning. I have two reviews up at the site. I have the first six episodes and then the, the last seven episodes, uh, two different reviews. They do have spoilers for their rep- respective 
areas. The, the first one is is actually the first six episodes is pretty much spoiler free, and then the last one, the last review seven through thirteen has one significant spoiler, which is clearly marked in with a bright red spoiler uh, alert because <laughs> it occurred uh... to me not everybody's going to watch thirteen episodes in two days. Uh, for for this kind of thing, so uh, we're gonna keep this week very uh, spoiler light, if not spoiler free, and then next week we're gonna do a spotlight on on hustle cards, give you guys a you know a little more time to catch up, and then really dive into to this. But without spoilers, without getting uh, too deep into it, first of all, how many episodes did you get through so far, and uh, what what have you been thinking of hustle cards? I've watched six episodes, so I'm watching it at roughly a tenth the pace you watched it. <laughs> I would have watched I... it faster, but I had I had house guests. <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, you are insane. But anyway, um, you know, since we're going to be talking in generalities uh, for this, what it it feels like to me uh, that Netflix skipped the mad genius portion of becoming a prestige uh, content producer. They, you know, they, they didn't do the, you know, they, did, they didn't do anything with any of the Davids or Matthew Weiner. They went straight to, we want a show that is solid, entertaining, and a totally safe bet. So they picked an exist an existing property. They chose, you know, very well-heeled people to make it happen. And the result is, you know, perf- is like very polished, very well-executed, uh, generally well-written, and generally well-performed, and always nice to look at. It's very rarely earth-shattering, but it's always watchable. Uh, so basically, they skipped right to the Boardwalk Empire phase. <laughs> yeah, the, the these episodes are are like you say, very good. They're they're uh, they're very well done. They have really strong performances. I think, of course, Kevin Spacey is a lot of fun in, in that uh, sort of hammy central role. And I also really like Robin Wright. It's always nice to see Buttercup in a less Buttercupy role, but but. Uh, yeah, it, it it is not. I mean, it's not in anywhere in the same league as you know Breaking Bad, as Mad Men, as yeah. you, you if know. you're thinking of the shows that broke, you know AMC or that broke HBO or broke whoever <laughs> FX. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not. I wouldn't say it's in that league. It it definitely feels like you know they they stack the deck as much as possible to make sure they had a good show and they got mm-hmm. a good show, but it's rarely like a startling or uh, yeah. Or, or I don't think it's ever a groundbreaking show, but certainly no. there's there's a lot. I don't mean to I don't mean to damn it with faint praise because there's a lot to like. Yeah, it's 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 a good show. It's it's just when I think of especially something like the cinematography of the of the, the series, the first two episodes have a little more visual flair. I love in the pilot how quickly we shift from the money. Just the the ooze of money throughout everything, from the lighting to the the the, the camera work. When we're around Spacey and his, you know his world, and then when it, the first time we cut to the Washington Herald, it's like a slap in the face. The light, you know the the lights are are really harsh. You just you get the sense of people working really hard, not having a lot of money, and uh, just kind of scraping through. And there's a there's a great kind of energy to that and and visual you know aesthetic feel that is not present in the rest of the series that is, and that's disappointing let's be honest you're shifting from david fincher who directed the first two episodes to people like jill schumacher so well yes but there's... i didn't even see it in the second episode really which was also fincher oh fair enough but uh but i did notice that um he kind of sets the style guide for the rest of the season to, you know to some degree like for instance i noticed everyone or at least most directors seem to employ that like smooth panning style that he likes where he'll 
you'll be in a scene and he'll pan, you know, clearly using, uh, like not, not handheld pan, but like a machine pan down to, (laughs) down to a significant object. Like it's a very, Uh it's a, it's a very Fincher movement. Um, and I've noticed most of the directors employ it. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think we would agree it's 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 really it's solid. If you like political intrigue, you will like it especially much. I've heard from uh, one of my buddies, Lewis, who has seen the original, really likes it. Watched this, thought he, they did a really good job of adapting it to into a longer form, uh, you know, story. Because of course, in the original, it's only four episodes. This is thirteen, so I haven't seen the original, but from what I'm hearing, it's it's a good adaptation. So. If, if you're interested in Spacey, if you want to see what Fincher does on TV, check it out. If you're if you're hoping it's gonna you know explode your brain and be something you've never seen before, though, maybe temper that. The pilot and several other episodes were were penned by Bo Willimon, who also helped develop the adaptation, and he also wrote The Ides of March. If you saw The Ides of March, you've actually got a pretty damn good idea what to expect from this. And you know, again, like I, that was a movie that didn't blow my socks off, and this doesn't either. But uh, but yeah, definitely a lot to like, and we'll get into more detail next week. Absolutely. Let's move on to Sunday, and we had the uh, the Super Bowl. Did you, did you watch? Did you see any of that? No. <laughs> uh, the the there was plenty to say about the the power shutdown and how that is just such a clear indication of all the problems that are currently you know festering in in NFL coverage right now. It's just such a utter waste of everybody's time. There was forty minutes without power, and so the the talking heads had to vamp for forty minutes and. I just was praying for the Sklar brothers to show up and save it. But of course, you know, they, they don't have a job being a correspondent <laughs> for football as much as they would be amazing. So yeah, there, there was some, some problems with the Super Bowl. Um, I, the ads not memorable. I really don't care about most of the ads and, uh, but and, and they have to, but how was Beyonce? Beyonce. Oh man. Beyonce, I think did well, but I'm very, it was very confused by the decision to have, her stand behind a, a lit up wall and dance with herself. Cause if I wanted to watch a music video, I would watch a music video. If I'm watching somebody perform live, it's, I don't understand why, why they ha- instead of putting her with a row of backup dancers, they put her with by herself or with two backup dancers and then a, a digitally created video of that's pre-recorded. If I wanted to see that, I would turn on NTV three or four. Well, I, whatever clearly... channel has those now. Clearly, clearly they wanted to maximize their Beyonceosity. They Fair. wanted as many Beyonces on stage as possible. Yeah. the uh, The other thing is the 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 Destiny's Child reunion, as it were, was had the potential to be really cool, but um, for some strange reason, uh, Kelly and Michelle, the other two women, their mics were way too soft, and so for whatever reason, yes. But yeah, but 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 Beyonce wasn't even singing. Like, because the purpose, the reason you bring out guests like that in a show like that is so that the the person who's been doing all the singing and all the dancing can take a breather a little bit. So I don't understand why their mics are so much quieter to the, such that they are out of, they're disproportionate with the, with like just the background music and the ambient noise when Beyonce isn't even singing. It's very, very strange. And I think they actually, the camera work was great in that as soon as they came up, the it stayed off of Beyonce and really did the, 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 the vis- visually, it did very much feature the other two, but um, the, the audio levels, and that happens all the time on the voice. It happens on American Idol. There's no reason that those audio levels 
coming through the TV should not be accurate. There's there's no reason. Yeah, I, I always find it weird when shows like that don't have proper mixing. Like, how hard can it be, guys? But yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I didn't watch it, but I did very much enjoy the gifts of them being launched onto the stage from under the floor. What uh-huh. the hell? That looked ah, dangerous. It was cool. <laughs> they yeah, were in course, heels. They're in very tall heel, heels, of course. Uh, so, so yes, as far as Super Bowl shows go, I th- halftime shows, I think the beginning actually was really strong. But but then it just kind of petered out at the end. And there's like she's just like sort of flailing and whipping her hair around and not really singing very much. And I, I kept waiting for her to bring out some other big guest at the end to kick up to have a big ending. But then that didn't happen. So. Um, better than it's been, but still a little disappointing. So let's move on, though, to to Girls and It's a Shame About Ray. This actually aired on Saturday, but uh, put it in its traditional Sunday spot just because that feels feels right to us. Um, what did you think about this episode? A lot of good stuff in this episode. You know, I, I, I'm still not comfortable. I feel like this season's been really on par with season one for me. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe a slight, Maybe slightly better. Uh, but I, I'm still not quite comfortable putting girls in my like upper echelon of great shows, much as everyone else has, or you know, or even put it on at, at number one. Uh, but I did think this was probably the best episode of the season. Um, I was sort of perversely hoping they'd keep Jess's husband around for a while, just because it's like I, I feel like she's the sort of person who might stubbornly insist on staying married to that person just despite everyone. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought that but but you know that maybe that wouldn't have been the most compelling thing to watch every week for a while so i understand the decision to get rid of him right away i thought their their fight was great and the resolution was stinging for all concerned which i think was really important uh i'm curious to see if anybody will ever change on this show though because it it seems like it, it doesn't see, feel like anyone has ever except for possibly adam except that feels more like we've seen more of him rather than that he's changed actually uh so it it, this is very much a show concerned with people in stasis so uh, i'll be curious to see if if they ever have a character who you know actually shifts in their beliefs or attitudes or behaviors (laughs) i actually think we get a little bit of that this week from hannah i think i really enjoyed her takedown of charlie when he comes back down after, you know, trying to cheat on his girlfriend again and, uh, and, and is ragging on, on, on Marnie and, uh, and Hannah reads in the riot act. And I think she shows a lot of insight there into what Marnie's experience has been in this past year that season one, Hannah might not have, might not have been paying attention enough to notice, you know, that Marnie's had actually a really shit year as much as she's been trying to put on a, a brave front and so, you know, I think that uh, I, th- I think that's an element to it. Maybe maybe that's what we're going to see rather than change, just more self, more awareness, uh, you know. But I actually really liked this episode. I thought the stuff we got with Shoshana and Ray was great. I I thought the stuff with Marnie and Charlie was good. And if if this means that we don't get more Charlie, then I am so happy. Yeah, I'm. I think everyone is sick of that character, and not just in a we don't like that guy kind of way. It just feels like he doesn't have anything to contribute to the show really. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, right now, at least that character is, feels like a giant day glow arrow to the, the, some of the faults with the main characters or the elements of the main characters that are really annoying. So, so I thought that was, uh, was good to, 
to potentially be seeing less less of him. And as far as Jessica's, I I also agree. I would have I would have liked to see that that marriage longer. I think that could be interesting. And um, I'm actually kind of hoping that that isn't just the last we're going to see of Chris O'Dowd. But um, if it is, then, you know, it, they, like you said, it, it did end very realistically and painfully. And um, and I think the shattered sort of Jessa we see at the very at the end was was really great um, and really strong performance. But um, I'm hoping that we get some more from that. I think that I think that I feel like that's kind of the easy way out. Yeah, for it to just be severed, like pay her off, whatever, and then pay her off, gone. it's yeah. over, and he's gone, and we don't talk about it, and you know, so we'll see what happens. But I do, I would agree, best episode of the season, and one of the best episodes of the series for me. Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed we didn't see John Glazer again. I'm hoping he comes back before the season's out because I thought he was hilarious last week. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll, we'll see. Let's move on to Monday and our final show of our week in TV, which is Bunheads Take the Vacuna. We have more of of Millie this week, um, of course. Liza Wheel, Liza Vile, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, is always so much fun. I love her as Paris, of course, on, on Gilmore Girls, but uh, she's a you know slightly different character here. And uh, the discussion of patronage in the arts was very entertaining for me, especially. But yes, um, I imagine. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a, it was a good episode, and I, I it was so nice to have all the bunheads back together. I've really been missing that uh, that camaraderie. So this was yeah. a, a good episode for it to be in. Even dancing together in a little group. Well, uh, and and they had the um that that was so adorable at the, at the top. But I, I really like that almost every episode this this half season has started. Actually, I think all every episode this half season has started with a group dance number. It's it's like they go, yep, we get it. This is what makes us different. We're gonna, yes. you know, we're gonna play to it. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I actually, what I'm, my major takeaway from the episode is definitely the stuff with Sutton Foster and her mother, who we saw for the first time this week, and that stuff, that stuff hurt. That was yeah. not nice to watch. Yeah, but in 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 the best possible way. In a good way, yes. Yeah, uh, in in a way that that really that makes total sense for both her and uh, and her brother. Um, I think that was. It was nicely played and not over and thankfully not overplayed. And I, I assume we're going to see more of that character and it's never going to get any easier. Yeah. Well, I love that a character who's so, you know, happy and freewheeling and positive and silly and fun as Michelle usually is, you know, she has, you know, some sarcastic wit to her, but you know, for the most part, she kind of has a goofy grin on her face. A lot of the time. I love how a hundred percent serious, a hundred percent, uh, uh, intense you know that you know how quickly that shift comes over when 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 her when it's her mom yeah with not an ounce of compromise no not at all and and that's you know and we don't know what that relationship was like Uh, we have we have no way of knowing pretty good idea this week well but we don't know what pushed it to that point because when you see michelle interact with everybody else she's very generous she's very thoughtful and so clearly she got burned big time. Yeah, but the the scene does a great job allowing us to infer certain yeah. things pretty clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I think that's really interesting. And, and watching then, of course, having so much with Sasha as Minnie Michelle, who, of course, has a very strained relationship with her parents as well. I thought that that paired very nicely, having all the Sasha stuff with all the, the Michelle stuff. Yes. And I, and I also like the way the show kind of poked fun at the way um... – uh, the way Cosette's just sort of shown up and <laughs> we're supposed to care. I feel like they know that and we're sort of, 
you know, ha- having a little fun with that this week. And I also liked Sasha's uh, uh, argument with her boyfriend. Yeah. Well, uh, and I the just, smile afterwards was really was nice. So perfectly, you know, immature young girl shouting match with my boyfriend. Yay. <laughs> yeah. It's our first fight. He, he means he likes me. Yeah. I was like, oh, come on. But I'm, I've been told that's you know the approach a lot of young young women take to relationships so it was it was funny to see yeah I, i'm liking the season up on heads i would like to see more of this dynamic moving forward but Definitely. you know i've i have a feeling we're not going to get all bun heads together for a few weeks again yeah. but fingers crossed so let's take a quick break listen to some music and come back with our spotlight on the pilot of the americans by Fleetwood Mac, used twice in this episode. Of course, we're talking about the pilot to The Americans, which aired this week, and has been one of our most anticipated for a while. I was looking forward to this back when, as soon as it was announced. Carrie Russell and somebody, I didn't know who at the time, I didn't really care, uh, playing a spy in the <laughs> 80s that was a sleeper agent in America who was really a Russian spy. That sounds amazing. And fortunately... I was trying to de-psych myself. I didn't want this to suffer from impossible expectations, but uh, I, I wasn't too successful at that process. And yet I still very much like this pilot. What did you think? And uh, do I have too much hyperbole going on? Or is this the best pilot in quite a long time? It's it's a really good pilot. And, and I hate to say it, but it's really great to have a really good pilot that people actually watched. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, this actually got better numbers than the American Horror Story premiere. Like this got really this there. There's no way this isn't getting renewed unless nobody watches it this week, which isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm and NFX does tend to keep its dramas around with rare exceptions like Lights Out. So, yes, I'm 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 excited that we have not only a really good show potentially, but a really good show that has extremely good odds that it's going to stick around for at least a couple seasons. So, yay. Uh, and and, it, and it's easy to see why it's got a high concept hook that's quite accessible, uh, but at the same time, you know, we've got Carrie Russell, who people actually know and are excited to see and stuff, uh, so that's also helpful. And we've also got Matthew Reese, who I don't remember seeing before, uh, but I know I, like he's one of those faces, like I've seen him before, but I can't think of from what. Um, anyway, uh, so but you know, there, just because it's got a decent hook doesn't mean it's going to be a good show, as we've seen time and time again. Uh, luckily, there's some really smart people at the helm of this, and there are some pretty obvious pitfalls that they avoid for the most part. And I don't know. I think the period setting is really smart. Uh, there, I, I think another really smart thing they did in this episode was, I mean, we just heard Tusk, which is played twice in the episode. There's a very memorable sequence set to In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. I'm assuming they're not going to do stuff like that every week because it's very expensive, but that's a really smart way to get people hooked on the first episode. I think more people, I think, I think after this, we're going to see a lot more pilots dishing out uh, big memorable 
music cues like that because it it, it really is a great way to get people hooked into into the universe of the show. Well, and I mean, I, I of course Tusk is used well, and everybody seems to have really latched onto that. I love them using In the Air tonight because, of course, that's a direct reference. That's got to be a direct reference to Miami Vice, which, of course, uses that same song in, in their pilot. And it is, and that's part of what's kicked off the whole music video craze was the, the use of music in Miami Vice. It's when I did my list of most memorable or specific scoring soundtracks for, for television, that was on there. Miami Vice was on there because it really redefined the way that people thought about music in television its use in television and so that had to be intention intentional an intentional nod and it was such it was, I, I was just grinning ear to ear I, I mean it's you know regardless of the song just the fact that they're like yep you know what the, what's the single series that most people would name that screams 80s miami vice right yeah Nothing else even comes close. You know, there are plenty of other really great series in the 80s, but none of them feel anywhere near as dated. And so to have that clear connection made, it's like while while the rest of the world in the 80s was watching this, this is what's going on at the same time. Yes, right. It was great. It was really, really canny and really, really fun. It has showed a good sense of whimsy and fun. Um, I do want to mention, I do want to talk about Carrie Russell a little bit because... Um, of course, Matthew Reese is fantastic in this, and I like as with you, I I was not very familiar with him before this, and yeah, it is like you said, it is one of those faces that I kind of recognize. I'm sure I've seen him in various things, but I didn't watch Brothers and Sisters, so I didn't know him from that. But he's fantastic in this pilot. He gets more to do, I would say. He gets to show a wider range. Um, but I, I do got to give some love out to Carrie Russell because it seems like everybody else is talking about Matthew Reese and leaving Carrie Russell as an assumed entity. Everybody knows Carrie Russell is amazing. Everybody loves Carrie Russell. We don't even need to mention that she's doing really good work here. But f from the moment she's introduced, I love the way that they introduce the, her, that the way that they start this episode, this episode starts with, yeah, we're going there. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this pilot. And and these characters are going there. This is their world. This is what it means. We're this is not alias. Yeah, no. You 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 opened the 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 series actually with her wearing a disguise on top of her regular disguise and and doing the nasty or a variant of it. <laughs> and uh yeah, that's that's a pretty it's a pretty ball, li literally ballsy way to uh <laughs> to start your series. Uh, sorry, I, I couldn't resist. Oh, God, um, that's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's – and there's a lot of – it's a very confident pilot, I think, is, is, a, is a good way of putting it. And, and I think that's why they're able to get away with something that I think, if it had been in any other pilot, would have caused massive eye-rolling, uh, which is, of course, Noah Emmerich's character, who is literally a counter a, – a U.S. counterintelligence officer living across the street from them, uh, which is absolutely – ridiculous it's it's a ridiculous ridiculous it's it's, yes. it's it's beyond silly but i'm willing it's, to go with it yeah it's almost unforgivable <laughs> it's almost unforgivable but it totally kind of works just because a because the rest of the episode is so good and b because it's noah emmerich who we who is great and he's just always great he's got this really sort of uncomfortable screen presence that's just right for this sort of role where you don't really know if you should root for him or not but uh, I, I do like the little bit of background we get about him having been in, essentially embedded uh, with this group of white supremacists for a really long time. And I, I think he'll be fascinating to watch. And of course, it also uh, gives us that 
awesome stand, sort of quasi standoff in the garage late in the episode, which was fantastic. Well, we get a couple moments in the in the garage with. with yeah, they get some mileage out of that with garage. Stan and Philip, no, they're great, and I love that they come back to that. I love that it's a that it's paired in the earlier in the episode and then at the at the end. Yeah, I I really I think confident is the the right word with, for this pilot, and and like you say, that's the reason that we we will accept his oh so convenient move next like across the street because because this pilot is basically saying yeah that's right coincidence sucks doesn't it we're doing it i don't care you got a problem <laughs> yeah, exactly. with that you got yeah, a problem there's with that? No... this is what happens <laughs> yeah I, I i i really hope they don't and i and i and i take it from what we see in this episode that they're not going to make any attempt to explain it or have some be it part of some ridiculous wider conspiracy which wouldn't make any sense anyway so, yeah, if they did that, I'd be really disappointed. But if they just leave that be, if they just let the situation percolate from what it's – I mean, if you think about it, it's – it's. I guess the – you know, um, uh, Hank Schrader on Breaking Bad being our protagonist's brother-in-law was integrated better than this was. Oh, but definitely still, better. But it's still a little bit ridiculous. Well, I think I, – I would say that that – I don't find that ridiculous at all because we see his role as a DEA agent being a sparking factor in Walt's decision to to start cooking meth. Right, but but it but it's still it's still a plot decision that you can easily back like you can see Vince Gilligan backtrack from I want his brother to be a DEA agent, how do I make that happen in the story? Like you can see that it was a story decision as opposed to necessarily a natural character decision. Yeah, I, I suppose. Uh, but and so this isn't handled as elegantly or even close to as elegantly, but I'm willing to go with it. I think one thing that if we're going to be throwing around Homeland comparisons, I think one advantage that it has is that I'm already interested in seeing what the show does with the kids, especially the daughter mm -hmm. who's 13, I think. And so she, she's you know very near the cusp of having be, being able to produce rational thoughts and um <laughs> And uh, so I'm I'm already interested to see what the show does with with the, the this idea of parenting and not knowing which ideology to raise your kids in when it's getting a little late to even make that decision. Uh, I don't know. I think there's all sorts of fascinating, murky, great territory to go with there. Absolutely, of course. We'll mention uh, coming in a couple weeks, not right away, but is Margot Martindale as their their handler, as yes. it were. Which yay. Thank you. Welcome back back to FX, Margot Martindale. Although I, I, I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping that means that she's on U.S. soil because I don't really yeah. want to hear yes, her putting on. Okay, good. Because that okay that way she's not putting on a comedy Russian accent. Good. <laughs> uh, but the the moment I wanted to mention, well, or the other generalized thought is I love the notion of this as an uh, the all the spy espionage you know element to the story being a, a means to an end. And the end being examining marriage, examining family, examining loyalty. Totally. That is by far the more interesting part of this. Yeah, as, as great as all the spy stuff is, the complicated relationship it allows our main characters to have is what is really what the, the center of this show will be. And the other thing I wanted to mention, the other standout scene for me, besides the, the hilarity of the, the, the scenes at the FBI, especially in the hallway and at the vending machine, Love the, the the underplayed comedy of those, but I love again the subtlety of we see when we see Philip and Henry at an assembly to, to, for an astronaut. I love that 
because it took me a while to when I was sitting there watching it like why are we seeing this and of course it's because we're it's all about Philip looking at America versus of course the Russians with the space race Russia's never mentioned the space race is never mentioned but it's we were racing these guys and not only we, we beat them to satellite but they they've put people on the moon of course they're gonna win and so to see that the fact that they don't feel the need to say that that they that they let the audience kind of think about it and figure that out for themselves. And that that is because right after that is when he decides, you know, to, to that he's going to turn the guy in. And, and again, that decision is never explained. But the fact that they trust the performance, they trust the audience, show, puts, tells me that I'm in good hands, at least for now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another little touch uh, I liked that, you know, it, it couldn't have been more than seven seconds of dialogue and it's never referenced again, but that quick quip about uh, the teacher with the hair lip and yeah. the, 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 the sort of the gap between, you know, was it Carrie Russell's character talking yeah, about Elizabeth? That? Yes. Uh, Elizabeth was saying, Oh, like I can't, I don't know how you can stand to look. Yeah. But it's a disability. Like mom. <laughs> the, yeah. Like, like it's not PC. Yeah. There's, there's so clearly a, already a rift developing there. And, and that's just, and it's not a big dramatic thing. It's just a little, little, uh, little nice bit of writing. And uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So well done to creator Joe Weisberg, who apparently was a FBI agent. Or CIA C agent. CIA agent, sorry. Um, and uh, that should allow interesting details, I would imagine. But also to the, the cast and to, to FX. I guess, it's, I guess I don't really need to offer them uh, uh, congratulations on the show, because this seems like it's a bit of a no-brainer show for them to to green light but hopefully they give send them some more budget because it seems like it's doing really well for them so far and uh yes and we should mention uh producer Graham Yost, who is mm -hmm. on the roll absolutely absolutely cannot wait to see what what uh what, what he can do next if, if assuming this you know his role here does not impact justified and i don't know if we want him to be giving us three shows but if they're all as good as you know this well, pilot he, indicates yeah he also works on falling skies so Maybe I need to check that out. I, I, I've watched a bit of Falling Skies. It's not bad for what it is. It's very Spielberg-y if you're into that. But it, it's it's certainly not nearly as bad as it probably should be. <laughs> Fair enough. And with that ringing endorsement, we'll bring uh, this spotlight section to a close. Of course, uh, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We'll have a post up at soundonsite.org covering this, uh, this podcast, and you can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you think about all these shows. Let us know whether you preferred Tusk or In the Air Tonight, which musical selection from the 80s you preferred in this pilot, or if you didn't watch it and have skipped forward, let us know what 80s music you would like to hear on your favorite TV show. Is that, that seems like a good question, right? For the yeah, week? sure. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you can find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. And uh, we would love to get some new ratings or reviews in iTunes. It does help other people find the show, as we say every week. Let's, uh, maybe, for Valentine's Day, show a little love. Yes, that would be good. Especially because I always find Valentine's Day incredibly depressing. Yeah. So anything you can do. Do you bit. also? Or... <laughs> I've, I've never had a date for Valentine's Day, so... Woo. i have but no no i have but trust me it doesn't make it any better doesn't make it better good to know <laughs> no. good to know I'll, I'll i'll make myself feel better with that um but uh you, you can of course also reach us by email the televerse at gmail.com and on twitter i'm at the televerse you are uh, at sucker howl and we're gonna take a little break listen to some music and a clip and come back with kyle nolan of no reruns to talk survivors the 2008 remake of the classic british series mm -hmm. 
The first official cases of European flu have been reported in Washington and Beijing. We're getting reports of localized power outages, and the tube system's virtually at a standstill. The picture's the same all over the country. Well, what are we doing? No matter how serious the flu might be, people don't expect the national infrastructure to collapse. None of our contingency plans allow for the virus spreading so quickly. We have to isolate people with the infection, quarantine them if necessary. It's already too late for that. What do you mean? Virtually the entire population's already been exposed. The virus is much more aggressive than early tests indicated. By the time symptoms begin to show, the body's immune system's already been severely compromised. Compromised? Goes into meltdown. In effect, the body's attacking itself. with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're getting our post-apocalyptic uh, future on with some Survivors, the 2008 remake, not the original BBC series. And here to help us uh, talk a future, a dystopian future where there aren't zombies, is Kyle Nolan from No Reruns. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's about time. We, <laughs> we talked about having you on back when we were hanging out at Comic-Con. So it's, you know, Half a year later, and finally you're on the show. What made you pick Survivors to be what you want to talk about? Uh, well, it was one of the shows. I had seen it when it originally aired on BBC America way back in 2008, and it's one of those that I always meant to go back and rewatch, so I figured this was a great opportunity to force myself to rewatch it and and just see why I enjoyed it so much the first time. Now, had you seen the original series, or did you come to this remake fresh? I came to it fresh. I hadn't seen it at all. I, I actually watched the first episode of the of the original series after rewatching this, and it's definitely very different. It's more like a soap opera, the original series. Interesting, because well, that's one of the most common recurring traits of you know, especially TV series that are set in a post apocalyptic future or some sort of you know, dystopian world. Often, as with most. TV dramas, it becomes a soap opera of a sense. So that's interesting that they actually played that down when they remade it. Yeah, and it, also I guess uh, I, I was seeing they uh, it's pretty much all white people in the in the original, and they definitely multicultured it up uh, for this. I mean, the, the gang of survivors is all everyone's like a different race or nationality, and so they definitely mixed it up to uh, give it more of an international flair. Yeah, and it was uh, that was one of the things that I most appreciated. I think they did, for the most part, a really good job with their casting for this series. Of course, so, certain characters or, or actors who who pop up, I was already familiar with. Actually, the ones I was most familiar with were people in supporting roles. So, and of course, from me, it's I, I knew them from Doctor Who. So, Freeman Adjaman is in a couple episodes, and I I don't have his name here, but the actor who plays Rose's dad so wonderfully, uh, Pete, <laughs> on Doctor Who is in a, is in a couple episodes, um, and so so actually the the main characters were quite uh, a, a discovery for me. I had heard so much, for example, about Patterson Joseph that it was great to finally 
see some of his work. And I think they, I think they did a very good job, especially with, with the kid, you know, it's so hard to cast children. And I think he's one of the highlights of the show. It's you talk about Patterson Joseph. And if you're familiar with him at all, at least for me, I'm only familiar with him from peep show. And he, he's, he's a recurring figure on that show for quite a while. And to see him in this context is quite startling. I didn't even realize that was the same guy from Peep Show. Like, I, I only noticed it when I was just looking up in IMDb before we, we did this call. And I was like, wait a second, that is the guy from Peep Show. And he was also in another show that I watched. And I didn't even put two and two together because, uh, like, I guess in those he was always clean shaven. And here he's, like, more gruff. And it just never occurred to me that it was the same guy. And if you guys could take a moment, you'll appreciate that he has the weirdest Wikipedia photo of any actor <laughs> It's like someone took a candid photo of someone who may or may not be him on a subway <laughs> reading a airport, book. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not totally sure it's him. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I hadn't watched any of the original. I, uh, in fact, since it had been so long since we set this up and I started watching it, I, then I realized there was an original and I started to fret that maybe I'd watched the wrong series. And I wasn't entirely sure until about three minutes ago that I had watched the right series. So that's quite a relief. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I dug this. It, it really, I mean, you talk, you mentioned that there's no zombies and you, you, you can kind of see it as some, something like the walking dead with the zombies erased. Although thanks to the setting, at least it feels more like to me, at least uh, 28 days later with the rage zombies erased. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I do think it, it has some flaws, but I, I think that in general it gets the tougher stuff, right? Like I, I think the tougher stuff being the the um the, the you know the 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 actual main cast of characters we have to spend time with and their interactions i think for the most part that stuff's all really interesting i think the stuff outside of that the sort of pharmaceutical conspiracy and sort of the um creeps of the week they encounter i think some of the some of those are a little problematic but i think the big stuff generally works yeah for me it definitely felt like th that was a weird thing going back and rewatching this after i had seen like the walking dead now and I had seen Revolution, and to me it felt kind of like a, a mix between the two because you get, like, the, while there's no zombies, like, half the world is dead or 90% of the world is dead, and you just have all these people trying to rebuild society and people are, like, hoarding stuff, and part of it even felt like they had their own little governor and his own little community. Um, there was the one guy, Dexter, who was, like like basically patrolling the the supermarket making sure no one took anything because that was his stuff and the stuff for this community that they were trying to to rebuild and that they also had their own law uh basically uh the woman who was like the military she was like the media liaison for the government became like judge jury and executioner for this little community of people and so it was almost like the town in in uh the walking dead where they have their own nation and it all looks good to the people, but there's a dark side at how they maintain that, maintain that society. Well, I, I think that's actually one of the things I most enjoyed about this series. And it's something as I was watching it, cause I, you know, eventually I did start seeing uh, some things on, on Wikipedia and online about what was going to happen when I was looking up information about the different actors and such uh, as I was initially watching. And so but going into the first couple episodes, though, I didn't know anything about this other than it's set in a post-apocalyptic kind of future. And so as I was watching the the premiere, I was getting so 
I was just like, okay, can we just fast forward and get to the zombies already? I mean, come on. And I was so glad that that didn't happen. I kept waiting for the people who were coughing and, be, you know, falling over sick to, like, wake up as, as zombies. And it was so refreshing to have that not happen. Well, unless, unless Abby is actually a zombie. Has that occurred to anyone? She could be. We don't know. But uh, other than she has a heartbeat still and is creating her own blood and can say words. But aside a revisionist from, zombie. You know, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, just details like there's enough food. Food is not – the only way, reason that food is an issue is when people are hoarding it. And when – you know, but there's the, theoretically the only food issue that should arise within the first, you know, however long the shelf life of most canned foods is – is if you need like fresh vegetables and things to get your your vitamins, but for the most part, food is not an issue, and that that was wonderful to see because that's never what happens. It just it feels like so many of the the post apocalyptic zombie stories that we've seen, and in all of those, for the most part, all, all the best ones at least that I've seen, which admittedly is a limited subset, the 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 real problem, the real villain is never the zombies. They're there to put stress upon our heroes, but the real bad guy is always other people. And so to just take away that extra stress and pressure and to just let it be that story and to not have the pressure of constant attack by zombie allow our, our main characters to really get into, you know, finding out about each other and, and their personalities and what they're dealing with in this situation without constantly looking over their shoulders for, for to be avoid being bitten, it it was nice. It was refreshing, and I would love to see more more creators use this kind of a setting to examine that that sociological issue. Although there are, you're right, there are no zombies, but I do think, uh, especially in the second half of the first series, I do think people crop up sort of one or two episode antagonists that felt a little bit one dimensional to me. That they kind of felt like they they existed as devices to cause problems for our protagonists rather than, you know, genuine people reacting in a natural way to a crisis. Like Fagin and yes. Mrs. Fagin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they definitely, like some of the stories of the week were a little uh, convoluted. And of course they had to have their Lord of the Flies type yeah. of story that every one of these type of post-apocalyptic things have. Like, oh, all their parents are dead. And so all these kids formed their own society and took over and so, I mean, you have to have one of those in every one. I'm surprised they did it right in the first season. But, but I mean, I, like you said, uh, Kate, I, I found it really nice that it wasn't all about special effects and monsters. It was purely about these people trying to survive and rebuild their society and learn about each other. And they realize, oh, we have to all stick together. Because at the beginning, they're all going to go off in their separate ways Um the um, Paris and Joseph character wants to just be on his own alone. And then they all realize, no, they have to stick together in order to, to survive. Well, and it's one of the more optimistic shows like this I've seen. Granted you have, you know, for, for, you know, counteracting the Greg character and, and the Abby character, you have Tom who is the, the bad guy, the, the, the killer, the one who is, will fly into a fit of rage because somebody batted their eye at his not girlfriend. But for the most part, you know, like the, like that moment that, that you talk about Kyle, where in the, in the pilot where they're all going to go their separate ways. And Abby just goes, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you guys idiots? That's just that's that's incredibly stupid. We're not doing that. 
after that moment, for the most part, these characters, they're good. They're good people. And most of the people that they run across are good. People. Well, half of them. <laughs> Putting in, in different, at least more than half. I would say you have if they're not functioning purely in a villain role, they're a good person. They're they're at least starting at a baseline of of neutral. Whereas a lot, I feel like a lot of times, this type of storytelling starts at a at a default setting of everybody's going to try to kill each other. He, people are are just animals, and they will without society, they will immediately fall back into a, a savage situation. And and you know, there's a discussion to be had there. there. There's different philosophies, but it's nice to actually see some show a show take the other side as a, as a default starting position. Yeah. And I, I liked that. Like it felt realistic too. It, it didn't feel like it, the, what the characters were doing felt like this is natural. This is what you would do if you were in this situation. Like even like some of the twists, like with the, I forget what their thing. It was a CDC type of lab and like the guy there had smuggled his wife in and his daughter in his son. because he wanted to save them. And that would really happen. You know, someone would do that. Um, and it was just nice to see like realistic plots for the most part. Uh, I mean, there were some things with some weird cults and some other things that popped <laughs> up, but yeah. uh, for the most part, it was, it felt like things that really could happen. Well, even just the, after a while, of course, they get jaded, but for the most part, every time they come across another person who's alive, they're just joyful because there are so few left, if you're going to say. It's what, somewhere like 10% of the world's population survive this plague that happens at the beginning of, of the, the series. I, and I really appreciated that, you know, aside from they get burned by that with Dexter and some of the other villains. But for the most part, they're like, holy crap, there's another alive person. Thank God. Although their optimism is, was a little bit annoying to me for a while because for the entirety, for almost the entirety of the first series, Dexter seems to have the only gun in Britain. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it causes a real problem. And I just kept hoping one of them would say, so, look, I, I get optimism. But in the meantime, as long as there are Dexters, can somebody get a fucking gun? Well, and I find that interesting, and you know, it's it's too bad we don't have a fourth person in this conversation from England, because I imagine having a British perspective on on that element to the storyline w- might give a very different read. Whereas, you know, from an American, be it United States or ca- Canadian perspective, <clears throat> I said I I gave you your your, your Canadian, you know, yeah, yeah, thing in yeah. There, but guns are far more prevalent. He, you know, in the United States, it just ridiculously more prevalent in the United States than in England. And so to to have that different relationship with not only violence, but specifically gun violence, I think makes sense. And I mean, they do have some stuff later on in the series where they do get a hold of a gun and accidentally kill someone. Mm-hmm. And then they feel you see how it affects them. Like they don't yeah. want guns yeah no and th- that aspect is interesting i was just i was just frustrated like when the, the first five times dexter shows up and just completely takes control of the situation because he's got a gun and it's like really they're gonna do this again yeah that is one of the weak points i would say of of the series certain characters like dexter i think are overused particularly in the first season 
and and it it does get very repetitive when he just keeps doing the same thing. I think they needed to bring in more variety, and they do that in the second season when they incorporate Dexter with with the political situation that's going on there, as well as bringing in you know the miners and the, and the the trucker and all of that. That I think that changes up the dynamic with Dexter and actually makes that character interesting in a way that he really isn't in the first season. The second season. The issue in the second season that sort of relates to that for me has a similar issue is the relationship between Tom and Anya. I think it's, it starts out very interesting and and all kinds of murky and confusing, and that's great. But by the end of the second season, for me, it's incredibly repetitive, and I'm tired of hearing them say the exact same things week after week and never really seeming to move forward with that relationship. Was that just me? No, I got sick. I got sick of that relationship by the end. Well, yeah, and even though like Tom, he does become somewhat of a heroic figure. I never get the impression that he's much fun to be around. Ever. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I never really get. I never really see him as having much of a case. I like that. I think that they do pair them well. I think Anya starts out as darker and definitely much more melancholic than some of the other characters. And uh, and I think that pairs well with Tom. I think they do a good job of establishing a sense of, I don't know that I like you, Tom, but I seem to be drawn to you to some extent. Mm-hmm. I think they do actually a good job of establishing that rapport. Where where I, I sort of have trouble with it is when they start to get those that character together, but then it's like they forgot they had four episodes left, and so they have them not you know be apart and then move forward and then pretend like the forward progress never happened. I don't know. I, I got a little frustrated with that, but on the other, that's really the only, the only romantic issue on the show that was frustrating to me. I love that, that there isn't a will they, won't they with Abby and anyone except for, I guess there was one guy in one episode, but I, the, in the main cast, there isn't like a, a, uh, is Abby and Greg going to get together situation. Well, they sort of had that with Sarah and um, and what's his name, Al. Yeah, yeah, but that seemed much more straightforward. That didn't seem like a a will they, won't they? Let's tease it out and have a forbidden romance. <laughs> that was just that's that's where they're going, and they'll you know. Yeah. And also, well, I think and, the way and, they paid it off made that work too. Yeah, and also, I mean, Greg seems to have kind of a thing for Abby at first, but then they just sort of drop it. Yeah, I would say that. But I mean, I think that makes sense. These people just lost their entire lives. Yeah, their libido may have gone somewhere, yeah. Yeah, well, some people are going to react in one way, and then other people are going to just be kind of shells of human beings for a while. It'll, it makes sense. And actually, I think uh, Sarah and Al have the most interesting arcs over the course of the two, se- of the, of the two series. And, and at first, when Sarah was introduced, I found her to be very groany. Um, or at least I groaned a lot when yeah. she was on screen because I, because I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I feel good about what they're doing with this character. Um, but eventually she kind of won me over. Yeah. Especially like at the end of season one, beginning of season two, she had like a really good arc where she, she does something and then she has to pay for it. And she realizes like her, the consequences of what she did and, I, I think they did. They did a good job with her. Yeah, and just to see that character grow. I mean, she's she's not the most pleasant character or the most likable character, but I do think you get a real sense of of growth happening with her underneath everything else. And I think when you look at where she is at the end of the season, and you look at her, 
just her relationship with herself and her self-worth and her identity it's she's come so far even just where we first meet her and to, to that end of that first season that choice that she makes you can see that that choice would not have bothered her the same way at the beginning of the season i don't think no but no. being around no. these people has had a profound impact on her i also like that that she's nice and and murky, morally murky. At the when we meet her, I mean, she's not a good person, and she does a horrible thing to was Bob. Oh, uh, mur- murky, murky is too weak. She she's a horrible person when when we first meet her. <laughs> she is not a good person. She's a- almost as bad as Tom, really. Well, and Tom, we're introduced to Tom him killing. You know, he's in prison, and he kills people, and he doesn't. You know, the character never backs away from from his violent past and the character is constantly reform, you know, informed by that as opposed to suddenly reformed because he's one of your male leads and he needs to be cuddly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way that, that we see Sarah get reformed, we see uh, Samantha, the one who is the media person. She seems to get worse and more and morally worse as, as the series goes on. Uh, she, because she has to start making tough decisions. She even tries to get Tom to help her out and kill someone later on. Like she definitely uh, has forgotten her morals as as she gets more pressure from running her her compound. Uh, although I have to say, she's one of those characters to me that felt more like a, the demonstration of an idea rather than an actual person. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the performer, the actress, did a good job. Uh, but that that's Nikki Emaku Bird. But uh, Amuka Bird, that is. But I, I think that, uh, yeah, she she's intended more as a figure than as an actual person. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same is is uh, is true of of many of the of the recurring characters. I mean, Dexter's not a character. No, he's, he's a boogeyman. He's just a, he's just a gun, really. <laughs> well, and and the other, if we're going to talk about uh, issues, the other issue I have with the show is really everything that's going on in that lab can just go away. I, I, you know, the the only part of anything associated with that entire storyline over the two seasons that I find interesting is when Abby gets taken. I think, I think the, the that storyline is very effective. I think that Julie Graham, who plays Abby, is is fantastic throughout the series, but I think she's particularly good in in that in those moments. But otherwise, that storyline, every time they went to that that uh, that you know that overhead shot, I wanted to just. Fast forward. Well, and actually, in that first series, they they have a segment in every single episode where they go yeah. back to that lab. And and I and when we got to the end and she gets abducted, I thought they could have just shown us her getting abducted, and it would yeah. have been way more interesting. So much more effective. Yes. Well, see, I, uh, I I didn't mind the lab stuff. I actually liked some of the lab stuff, especially when she had been abducted and she was trying to escape. Plus, it also led us to the good cliffhanger at the end of series two, which. We'll never ever know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> but I I was so excited at the end of season two. I was like, I can't wait for the next season. Then I saw the news. Oh, they're not going to renew it. So, yeah. Well, and as as much of a cliffhanger as that is, the original cliffhanger, <laughs> which I guess we shouldn't spoil here because we're since we're not talking about talking about the original show. But yeah, that original cliffhanger a lot a lot a lot worse. But I was actually surprised as. Re- Repetitive and I guess recurring as that search for Peter storyline was, I was surprised by how much I was willing to stick with it, particularly once we had seen Peter actually like see that he actually does exist. 
I, I was I was surprised that I didn't tire of that one. Was that just me? No, I thought it was much better than like The Walking Dead Search for Sophia. Like I that I lost interest in way before I lost like I the P- Search for Peter. I thought that didn't bother me as much as as the Search for Sophia. Well, because it didn't. It, it, uh, the Search for Sophia, as I recall, took up the attention like our all, like most of our attention for most of half of the season and almost every character yeah. too. Yeah, and almost every character, whereas The Search for Peter really only involves Abby and, at the end, a few more characters. Well, And, and, and not all the time. And Abby also seems to be aware that if he's alive, then... You know, the, the difference with the Sophia search is that, of course, she is theoretically in imminent danger, whereas with Peter, if he's alive, then he's managed to survive this far and he's probably in a stable situation. So she needs to make sure that she has a base that she is fed and then she can, and if she finds a lead, then she can go check it out. But running around like a chicken with her head cut off is not going to help her son. Right. And I really appreciate that sort of a level-headed lead. Shall we talk about favorite episodes? You know, you know, I, I have a soft spot for the pilot, if only because I, if you, because, you know, not being from Britain, I'm not necessarily familiar with the entire cast. If you go into the episode not knowing who to look for, then you really have – it's sort of like watching uh, Steven Soderbergh's Contagion. So many people die. Almost everybody dies, and so you're left wondering, who am I going to be following? And so, like, you, I didn't even know until she doesn't die at, like, the, I don't know, 62-minute mark or something that Abby was going to be our protagonist. And so it was a it was an enjoyably disorienting experience for me. Well, and then for me, the fact that I was most familiar with the act- actors who die in the first couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, interestingly enough, Prem Adjaman, who plays Jenny, that character survived in the original. And so for people who are watching this, who were, who knew the original, that was probably a hell of a surprise. So this would have been after her seasons of Doctor Who. Uh, so she... So so this is this, this you know really famous actress at least on genre television in the UK playing this character who you think is going to live because she lived the original originally and then it's just the turn up for that is is fabulous and then she's just gone. For me the other episodes that stood out I, I loved the the two instances of running across uh, the people who are in quarantine to some extent. So both in the first season, that family in the farmhouse, and then in the second season with, the, with Sarah. Yeah, the ultimate episode, yeah. Yeah, the, the reverse of that situation, basically. I think uh, the, I think both of those were really effective. And, uh, and it, they both sort of function as, at least elements of the episode function as bottle episodes, and I think they work really well. Yeah, like like you guys said, the pilot for me was probably like my favorite because going in, it's not like here where you see so much casting news and everything gets published. It, like this was on BBC America. I didn't know anything about it. Just going in, watching it, I recognize some of the faces. Like I recognize the guy who plays Tom because I've seen him in a, in a bunch of shows. And I recognize obviously uh, Freema. And um, they were pretty much the only two. Oh, and the and – the, um, Al, I recognize he was in 24. So I I recognize some of those people, but I didn't know necessarily who was going to survive, who was the main star. And so I always like going to a show not really knowing too much because you then, especially like if they're going to kill people off in the first episode and you don't know who the regulars are, it makes it that much more exciting and interesting. And as for other episodes, um, I guess I really liked, like I said, that season two finale, but it was so upsetting when I found out there wasn't going to be more. And then I did like the whole episode, um, uh, 
with her when Abby gets abducted. I think that was like the season two premiere. Yeah. Uh, when we find out what happens to her and and see the stuff with the the guy's wife uh, who runs the lab. Yeah, I find it especially upsetting when these short run British sci fi shows get canceled because it feels like we just barely got to know them. Like it was even worse with the fades because that only got like six episodes and it's already gone. Yeah, it, and I, I think part of that is both the the weakness, you know, or the most, fr- not a weakness, but a frustrating element when they get canceled, like Survivors and also the Fades. But I think also one of the strengths, because only having six episodes a season, you can make, you know, you, you can keep the stories interesting. I think one of one of the things that make, like, The Walking Dead, when it's having trouble, uh, it, that can make some of these stories feel like more of a slog is when there's supposed to be this sense of, you know, really hard struggle. They're just barely scraping by. But watching people try to farm for for a lot for like an entire twenty two episode season isn't very interesting. So then all the, all the conflicts get increasingly contrived. Well, especially when you know it's like one of the most watched shows on television, and they're not going then they're not going anywhere. Well, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's not just Walking Dead; it's other other series too. But I, something like this, you can have there's an asshole with a gun uh, be your main conflict for half your season, and that's only three episodes. So it's not you know it's not a, as uh, is unbelievable, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you a little space. It also lets you have, you know, six episodes over a shorter period of time. Like, I, I don't remember what the exact time frame for this series is, but it doesn't feel like it's very long. And that's helped by the fact that there's only 12 episodes. Yeah, and they do manage to give arcs and development to every one of the characters, like, in that short amount of time. So, I mean, they do a really good job at exploring these characters even in only six episodes a season well and they can stretch that out really easily we don't find anything out about greg really until the second season that's when we start to to get to know him uh in, in, in about his kid and his wife or his ex-wife you know we get to know about him in the second season and the reason we can do that we can have this character be a mystery for an entire first season is that it you only have again you only have six episodes so it doesn't seem strange if we haven't gotten around to that yet so any final thoughts on on survivors um i i really enjoyed it watching it again despite the uh despite the lack of resolution of, uh, resolution but i mean it's definitely interesting to watch it again after having seen like some of the more recent shows like walking dead and and revolution and things because uh like you just get another perspective. Like you, you get to go back and see when it's like all of this post-apocalyptic type of stuff without all of the special effects and the and the monsters and stuff. It's it's good just to get back to the baser survival of these people. Well, without the uh, oh, but they're the two young people and they're both very pretty. So clearly they must be in love. Yeah, we didn't. I don't. There's none of that in this, right? There's no, we, none of that. It's that, wonderful. I didn't even realize that. That's so great. Not to, yes, and yeah. yeah it's not all pretty people. Like, uh, not that the actors aren't, uh, but uh, I mean, it's not. But they don't have it, a bunch of makeup. That's not the reason for them know? to be there. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, just just imagine. Uh, the American equivalent of this, which you know you could say is revolution casting like a forty-three-year-old woman in the lead. Oh Just yeah, that. never. <laughs> Just that it was never going to happen. So props for that. Absolutely, Simon. How about you? Any final thoughts? Oh, I always enjoy uh, watching these short-run British series when they're any good, and this and this is. I do think that the there's a little bit of chafing between the sort of more realistic aspect and the more sort of aspects rather, and the sort of more sort of 
broad genre aspects that sort of you know there's a bit of friction there but i think other than that it's uh, it's really solid all the way through and i think it's too bad they didn't uh, they weren't they weren't given a chance to tie it up properly i agree with what both of you guys said and uh, i would add we haven't really talked about this relationship but i think my favorite relationship in the entire series is between al and najid and i love that they spend the time on that and that they value it in a way that you know other other shows would have the one token cute scene between the kid and the the you know reluctant parent you know per episode and it would be heartwarming but they develop a real and genuine relationship between those two and i think it's absolutely one of the strengths of the series totally uh so yeah so this is a fun show one i had completely overlooked i remember hearing about it at the time like hearing about it getting canceled and and genre fans being bummed but it's one that many of our listeners may have overlooked and go into it knowing that you won't be happy with with the cliffhanger finale or that that may be frustrating but i still think it's worth your time and uh, it's it's nice as i said earlier it's nice to have a different take on the post-apocalyptic world totally so kyle thank you as ever for coming on where can our listeners find you online uh you can find me at noreruns.net and i also uh, contribute to a daily column on tv is my pacifier.com oh you can also find me on twitter at uh at kyoul k-y-o-o-l Cool. Well, thank you again so much for coming in. Thanks for picking Survivors and, you know, giving us some more genre fun. And everyone, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. sort of missing Damon, like funny Damon and, uh, and, uh, you know, wisecracking, you know, biting aside Damon. Uh, I shouldn't use that. That's a terrible unintentional pun. (laughs) Biting. (laughs) Uh, uh, acerbic wit Damon 